good afternoon, good morning, whenever you're listening to this uh, pre-recorded pre presentation. Uh, both Dr. Dean and Diane are present. We are uh, we are the podcast presenters of Returning to Eden, and we kind of hit and miss on doing the broadcast, but we're happy to be doing it again. We kind of felt, you know, we needed to get on the air and do something positive and uplifting. And uh, I want to mention too the song that introduced the show is by a guy named Evan Kraft, who's won our Dove Award apparently. Uh, the show the song is called Be My Shalom, and I wanted to kind of play that that song uh, for this broadcast only because it is the peace of God that brings restoration. It is the comfort of knowing what the end of the game is, the story that we all rely on. And so for me personally, I just I live with the thought that God created creation in order to dwell amongst his creation. And so as long as I know that that's where God is, he's with us and he's watching over us and he's managing uh, the outcome of just about everything, I take great comfort in knowing that there is joy that comes in the morning, and I really, really believe that. So Dean and I wanted to come on and do a show. We want to talk about uh, several topics. We'll maybe, maybe go for an hour. We don't know yet, but we're certainly going to talk about uh, several important topics, and we just want people to realize and recognize that <clears throat> the creation story is an eternal story, and it's just our turn to experience the gift that God gave to all of us when he envisioned life and brought us all forward. So, Dr. Dina Dye, good morning, Dina. How are you? Good morning, Jeff. Doing well, doing well this morning. We actually have some shade cloud cover. It has been hotter than hot here. Uh, yesterday, I live kind of in the mountains. I'm at 6,700 feet, and yesterday it, it hit about 100 degrees. It was miserable. Oh. So this morning... Uh, you know, it's cloudy and cool, and I and I feel cool. <laughs> so, I, you know, I was out this morning. I try to go for my walk, you know, 6, 6.30 when it's cool. And I, as I was walking, I just had this sense of, you know, I could see the darkness over the nation, but what I could see were these, it was just flickers of light. Like all across the nation, it was like the light was trying to come on in the morning, and there was just flickers. And I'm, I know things are intense, heavy, depressing, and all that, but my sense is I think, we, we, I think we're close to the pivot moment. I don't know how it shakes out, but my sense is that, at least with the people of God, that, you know, this flickering is going to turn into a light. Because really, we're in it, I don't, I don't want to put it in a weird way, but we are kind of the salvation for the nation. Understanding Yeshua the Messiah is the one who delivers and saves and sets free. But really, he has sent us to do the same thing. And I, you know, that's, that's my message this morning is to be encouraged. I believe, you know, I believe something has changed or is moving in a different way. And I'm just going to be excited about that. Well, and I, I, you know, I kind of understand. I watch, I watch the, uh, just the mindset of the people. You know, everywhere you go, it's kind of like, like you said before we started the show, people are just kind of checking out because of the. Um, it's just like this layer of yuck on every every direction you look at our nation. There's just a layer of oppressive mindset, brainwashing, you go down the list, it's all there. But you said something, and you were quoting, um, oh, I can't, I, his name escapes me, but it says, the question is not why is there evil oh, in the Dennis world. Dennis Prager, question, yeah. Yes, James, yes, Dennis Prager. And it, the question is why is there good in the world? And to me, yes. that has always been the baseline. Because it is the good in the world that's caused the world to come this far. And I just have to hold on to that because, like I tell everybody, you know, the dirt is not dirty. It still produces life. The air is still clean. It still sustains us. And water still falls out of the sky for free, which tells me that there's a whole lot more strength behind what's going on behind the scenes than anything mankind can do to raise up his voice against the creator. And I have Amen. to hold on to that thing 
Otherwise, I would be just, I would be another mask-wearing, defeated, downtrodden victim in the black community, and I refuse to live that way. Amen, brother. So really, uh, you know, the natural default position of the world is, you know, this evil, tyrannical, you know, that's how it operates. And so, uh, as Dennis Prager was saying, why is there good in the world? Well, there's good in the world because of his people. We move the world from that default position of evil to the place of good by our acts of kindness as we go out and be, uh, as we are restorative in the community. So we want to encourage you, uh, you know, find a way to be restorative in the community. Uh, you know, I, it, it, we've been forced to, to stay home and just, you know, live in the prison of our homes. But really, it's time in whatever way you can is to get out there and, and be, that, be that light, be that flicker that becomes a light and, and find a way to serve and be restorative. Like, there's no greater message than that to me. You know, and something comes to mind. I'm I'm reminded of Pastor Joe Amon, who's down in Derrida, Louisiana. He did a broadcast last week, and not not yesterday, but he talked about the various religious uh, points of view and perspectives that we all have. But he also talked about God using each one of those for the bigger purpose, for the greater good. And I yeah. think for the body of the believing community, if we would just simply recognize that God is using what we have to offer based on our interpretation, our understanding. He's still capable of using that. So we need to understand that God is using our various positions and platforms and understandings and mindsets and interpretations for the greater good. And we all need to at some point recognize that we're not as divided as we think we are. We just need to recognize that there's a greater harmony amongst what we believe that we really need to focus on. And I really appreciated hearing Joe present that information. He was talking about all the different factions over the course of the last series that he's doing, uh, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Theopolins, the Bereans, and that world and the ancient world, which is kind of what our show and broadcast is all about, how these groups thought and what they brought to the table and all of the differences and all of the dichotomies that were going on, yet they were all still part of the same common thing, and that was upholding and believing and lifting up the name of our great God. And so that, to me, is something that, um, like Dennis Prager says, the question is not why is there evil in the world, the question is why is there good in the world, and that's the strength that has carried these generations through the centuries with all this lunacy that we, I mean, can you imagine as, as nutty as it is today in the world, back when they nailed the Messiah to the tree, that had to be a, a completely dysfunctional world and community and government. <laughs> so it's not like this well, is a news story, it's just our turn. Go ahead. I think in many ways, I mean, that the first century I've always said, is one of the most complex periods in all of Israel's history. And you have this convergence of these, uh, of sort of this political world where you have, you know, King Herod, of course, he dies, and then we have his son. So we have the Herodian dynasty functioning. I mean, and they're, they're obviously not from the line that God has established. And, you know, let's just talk King Herod, you know, back crazy you know, murdered most of the people in his family, vicious, vile human being. Then you have the temple structure, which has gone off the rails, has become very corrupt. And within it, you, have, you know, you have the various groups within the, within the priesthood. And then you have all of the, uh, you know, you've got the, the zealots and all the various groups that are coming against uh, all three, the, the Rome, the temple, and Herod. You've got the overlying structure of the Roman Empire oppressing the people. Like the oppression's coming in from three sides, just right. strangling them. And then within that, all of these groups vying for power. And, you know, the Boethusians, I mean, there's just myriads of them. And it's hard, the, the problem when we read this, the scriptures is it's hard for us to distinguish between who's who and what's what. So it's a very violent period, a very violent period. And it is a very complex period to unpack. But out of that, look what comes out of that. 
you know, Messiah yeah, hangs exactly. on the tree. It's resurrected from the dead. And the greatest move of the kingdom of heaven on earth comes in the middle of all of that, the vice grip of the political entities. So we want people to be encouraged because we are, in essence, in, in, in a vice grip. All, all around us, we, heart, we don't really see anybody on our side except us. But yet it's through that that, that God will bring forth his kingdom but he expects us to do our job because in the first century they didn't do nothing and just wait they went out pushed and forged ahead all through the empire bringing the message of the gospel of yeshua the messiah to every corner that they could and that's what we need to do and the other thing too we need to keep in mind because of the patterns that reflect the biblical narrative they were all kids these were the youth that went out and changed the dynamic. They changed the entire conversation, but they paid an, an enormous cost. Yes. And the cost that they paid is why we discuss them today. But they were still youth. They were still kids. They were still teenagers. Isn't it amazing how the structure of lunacy in the world is always satisfied by the young people? I'm thinking of uh, just coming to mind the young people that ran off the boat at V-Day at Normandy. I mean, these were teenagers. These were teenagers that ran off the boat. These were the disciples, the apostles. These were the guys, even teenagers, that ran out and faced down the giants on every front in order for us to have this conversation today. It's just like I, I will continue to say this, folks, it's just our turn. It's our turn, and we need to understand that. Well, and the one character trait, so we look around and we go, my gosh, we have no leadership. All we see is cowardice. That's all I see. But the one character trait that God, I believe, is trying to instill in his people is courage. Because if you go through the Bible, if you look at every single biblical character, every life in the Bible, that is the thing that they exercise. I mean, why is it that the Torah, you know, ends each one? You know, be strong, be bold, have courage, because that's mm-hmm. the thing you need to get through all of this. And so I just want to encourage people, literally. Uh, so we don't know what we're made of until we're in the vice grip. Like, I, you know, people often will post to me, you know, thank you for your courage. I'm going, yeah, I don't have any, I mean, honestly, what am I doing that's courageous? I don't feel courageous. But what it comes down to is I know that I know that I know what the truth is. And I am so passionate about the truth that the courage thing just follows. Do you know what I mean? I'm not giving up this thing because I know what's right and what's wrong, and I'm going to press that out, you know, out in the marketplace to the best of my ability. And so with that, by declaring the truth in the marketplace, with that comes, comes courage because, honestly, none of us know what we're made of until that moment happens. Um, when I was at uh, Revive that last week, uh, you know, I was talking about freedom. I did my July 4th uh, a session there. I was really speaking about the greatness of the nation, the failures, but the greatness. And I talked some about William Wilberforce, the, uh, who abolished the slave trade in England, and uh, George Whitfield. But I coined something which I thought was profound. <laughs> but I thought, you know, Freedom and courage is the same, but freedom is not a destination, okay? Freedom is moment-by-moment acts of courage, and that's where it's at. It's just moment-by-moment you act, uh, you know, as you have a passion for the truth and what's right, and as you speak on it, and, and, you know, as that's who you become, the courage just follows. And, And that is the thing I believe... That's where the game changer is, when people will rise up and exercise courage. This stuff will get pushed back because the other side, they ain't got courage. All they've got is intimidation and bullying tactics. That's all they know to do. They don't even know how to deal with courage. So I, this is going to be an interesting, you know, <laughs> it's going to be interesting coming up. Well, you know, because we kind of focus on how the ancient world operated with returning to Eden, it just it's it's it should be no surprise to virtually everyone that all of the characters of the Bible that we're talking about that demonstrated courage had to roar against a political system uh, 
in every story. I mean, there's not a story in the Bible where, where one of our matriarchs, particularly the Jewish matriarchs, the Hebrew matriarchs, weren't fighting a political system, a tyrannical king, or a corrupt system within their own government. This is the story that the Bible is letting us all in on, this great big secret, folks. The battle begins in the political arena because that's where we have to stop the oppressive nature of these tyrannical empires that want to lord over the people. And the only way you get past that is if a handful of people decide to go say, no, we're not going to do this. And the Bible is full of those stories. In fact, every story in the Bible is about a handful of people or one or two people who say, no, we're not going to do this. And that they, is they, the, you know, they pay some amazing prices in order to do that, that's but the that's story the reality. Yeah, it's the story of Israel. Uh, you don't find, I mean, they are constantly dealing with the oppression of the nations. This is why there's so much language in the Bible about the nations, the Gentiles, because that's who the battle is with. And so, you know, just you go back to the very beginning and in my new book, you know, I'm dealing with that same thing. Although we don't have any information in the Bible about Noah, that's the backdrop of that story. Whenever you see language of violence and corruption, which we see is all over the earth, we know that the nations have, arise, have arisen and have taken control. So that's the environment in which Noah is dealing with. And, and we just keep moving on, you know, through Abraham and, and, uh, and sons and Moses and the backdrop is always some sort of tyrannical nation, and how do you know? How do we upend that? How do we, what I call it, uh, subversive? How do we respond in a subversive way? How do we respond as the resistance? And so Yeshua tells us on the Sermon on the Mount, this is how you resist. So violence is never the answer; it doesn't work. <laughs> but what what how 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 we respond? To that is, you know, those you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the righteous. You know, though, that's the way you subvert world empire. Yeshua came with a message to subvert world empire that was 180 degrees opposite of how the world responds and how the world functions. So here we are, folks. We have to be 180 degrees opposite of what they're doing out there. And we're in the same Keep a mess that Israel's been in since the beginning of time. And God went before them, and he will go before us. And see, that's really the, you know, if, the, if, if, if you need to be encouraged, folks, you have to recognize the reason why we're all here today, we didn't blow ourselves up a couple of thousand years ago, is because there is a greater purpose happening. And we're part of that story just like they were. But if you sit back and allow it to happen, then you're really not effective. You know, and of all of the, of all of the generations that have come and gone, we are probably the most educated on the biblical story and the reality of God Almighty. We already know that the battle is won, not because Jesus shows up and destroys the enemy, but because working through people who represent the kingdom of God he is able to overcome virtually every tyrannical situation in the world. But he always, throughout the entire biblical story, God Almighty always uses us. <laughs> Jesus didn't come down with a great big army and destroy Rome. That wasn't why he was there. He actually said to you, the responsibility is yours, so here's your salvation. Now go get activated and represent the good as opposed to the oppression. And that's what we have to do. We have to keep that in mind. So, I mean, he, you know, the message and the transformation and the restoration of the individual and the community upended the entire Roman Empire. Now, did that mean there were no more Caesars and no more structure in the Roman Empire? It did not. It continued on until the barbarians came in, what, 474, and that was, you know, the end of Rome. It collapsed from within, but that didn't, in essence, didn't even matter because the gospel message had gone out to the four corners of the earth. So it, we're not here. We live in it. We are governed by its rules. But you know, this is that that this is that uh, 
that dichotomy to the kingdom here but not yet kind of thing. We're in it, but we're not of it. The, the, all that type of language. Um, but we, you know, we have seen individuals throughout history transform the culture. And at my message at Revive, I spoke about William Wilberforce. I just had finished reading his book. I mean, the man, he spent 20 years. He, he had a transformation. I'm not going into his whole story, but he had a transformation where he recognized that everybody you know, was equal in the eyes of God, and they had been created in his image, and so as the slave trade heated up. Now, you have to understand, in England at the time, most of the people didn't even know it was going on, because they weren't bringing black people to England, okay? They were going to the Indies to the sugar plantations. They called it the Triangle. And so most of England had no awareness of what was happening, and Wilberforce ended up in, in Parliament. But 20 years, day in and day out, this man spoke against it and looked for opportunities. And there would be vote after vote after vote, and they would continue to vote, you know, a, not in favor of abolition. And, I, you know, you just read his life. He gave it all. He gave it all to save, to because of the value of human beings that he saw. And the, and the slave trade was abolished in England, and emancipation came three days before he died. So honestly, with his last breath, he finally saw. So most of us don't operate like that. Like if, if something doesn't happen tomorrow after we prayed today, we kind of give up. So again, another message for us is, we yes, we take courage and we move out in the marketplace, but we have to learn how to persevere over the long haul. And we're not good at that. You know, we just want it tomorrow, you know, yesterday really is what we want. And so I want to just encourage you, especially those of us who are older, we need to take this time and impart what we can into our young people because this, we didn't get here overnight. This has taken about a hundred and some years. So this could go on for a while. So what are we going to do to make a difference and restore freedom and liberty to our nation and really to people's lives? Because people are desperate and hurting. Well, and it's just like it's 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 just like the disciples. If we go back to that for a moment, they were on the front line. They they weren't waiting for somebody to do what needed to be done. They were on the front line, and that's why we celebrate the stories of the Bible. Is because those people were on the front line. They were in the face of great danger. I mean, just yeah. go down the list, Esther. If you just go down the list at what these people were willing to do in order to bring forth their kingdom. And speaking of the Torah, which the gospel message is certainly uh, the, uh, a great big end result of all of the books before it, it's about behavior. Here's how you behave. This is what makes the difference. And you have to, if you don't understand that behavioral system that God has laid out for humanity, if you don't understand that it's your obligation as a person saved by that information to go and be the kingdom, that's what we have to do. And in this age of convenience, the inconvenient truth, the inconvenient truth is that we've gotten comfortable. And that's why we're being run over with the suppressive nature, governments, all this stuff is just like, it's just kind of parked itself on top of our comfort. And now we're moving from a place of comfort to a place of, place of oppressed. And it's because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And that's, I, I don't want to, that's a clarion call for all of us, but really, rather than be depressed, put on the full armor. Ephesians 6. And by the way, folks, it wasn't a Roman arf, uh, Roman. Uh, centurion. It was the priest's robes. This is what the kingdom of God is built upon is the authority of what the temple government was all about, and that was about behavior, and you had to fight for it. They had to fight and for it. The rights had to fight for it. A question you have to ask yourself is, who are you doing this for? So if, you're, if all of this is about doing it for you so you can be comfortable, it ain't going to work. Nope. So we are called to work on behalf of others, those that have no voice, those that have no influence or power. That's who we're called. We're called to do this on behalf of the community, or in our case, I'd say on behalf of the nation. So when you, you, 
we've got to take it out of the personal, individual, you know, comfort place. Because we may never live the way we have before. But now we move out on behalf of others. Like, that is the message of service that the kingdom, that's the, the predominant message of the kingdom, is service to others. And so we see, you know, over the, the centuries, people have gone out to distant lands and built hospitals and, you know, gone into areas that no one has gone to, not because, you know, the, their reason is because they want to deliver those people from the oppression, whatever, that they're living under and to, you know, to provide a, uh, to provide a life that they can't have, you know, under their own government, under their own system. But others have gone out to say, here's how you can be free. And so then they take with them the mess. So we, what we failed in the Hebrew Roots community, Messianic community, is to tell people the gospel message that Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah, will save you and deliver you from oppression and sin and restore your life and, and pour into it joy and, um, you know, a new motivation for life and for, you know, the excitement of life. You know what I mean? The gospel message has really been kind of underfoot, and I, I that has to be restored. We have to go tell people about Yeshua the Messiah and what he can do in their life. I mean, it's just that simple. Well, and I, you know, I, again, I'll go back to Pastor Joe Amon. He did a talk yesterday, and he talked about this very thing. But he explained the gospel message from the eyes of the ancient world. And I think that that's, if, if we really want to look at it from that perspective, that's what changed the world. Not what we've done to it today, but the fact that this message went out from Israel 2,000 years ago and changed the conversation. And I think here's the best part about all of that. The Lord says, if you will do these things, I will go before you. I mean, we have those examples. Phineas comes to mind. I will go before you in the battle. I will be in front of you. But you have to kind of do it this way. <laughs> you can't sit in your couch with a cup of coffee watching Fox News and expect things to change. It just doesn't work that way. But now that we've kind of got to this place, in other words, folks, be encouraged and be renewed by your faith, not destroyed by, by what's happening around you. You have to be the voice of the Lord in this dark age. You just have to. We just have to do that. And I know, Danny, you'll agree. Absolutely. Uh, you know, just one final thought as we do our little pivot here. You know, Paul is making the comparison. He is comparing sin, how sin operates in your life and takes control and ravages you from the inside out, is the same way that tyrants operate. So sin is like a tyrant. In the same way these other nations come and oppress you and, and remove all your freedom, sin does the same thing for you. So one of the, I would like to pivot now to, because both of us have recently watched Larry Elder's movie, new movie called Uncle Tom. And Jeff and I have been talking about this. And, I mean, I'm going to make a statement and some of you will probably just say, what does she mean by that? <laughs> but it, it just in terms of where our nation is at, my feeling, this is just my opinion, but I do feel that those conservative blacks who love God are kind of the way out of this morass that we're in, that they are the voice. They are the healing voice that can bring unity back to the nation. Their message, the, the movie was just so powerful. It was, it was done in black and white, and it, he did an excellent job just bringing it all together, and, and the message, it was seamless throughout, but it was quick moving, but we, he covered a lot of ground, and he had all you know the, the movers and shakers in the black conservative movement movement um, eloquently state what the problem is and kind of what we what we need to do and so since I have here with me my favorite black host <laughs> I wanted to get your take on it and just you know I know that's a radical statement but I do believe that's where the healing's going to come I really do well I mean like I mentioned to you uh, when, when we, uh, folks if you're not familiar with what we're talking about uh, Larry Elder who was a talk show host. Uh, he's been around for a long time. I really kind of connected with him a couple of years ago, met him last year here in Seattle. Uh, he has produced a movie. It's called Uncle Tom, and you can go to UncleTom.com uh, 
to uh to to find out more about the movie. But it's a it's a it's a um a conglomeration of black conservatives telling the story of what happens in black America and why we need to go back and look at the historical account as opposed to the revised account that uh, is force-fed to, to many, many people. And for me, and I encouraged Dina to watch this movie. She was, uh, you had already ordered it, but uh, I, I ordered the, um, the live stream and the CD. But for me, when I watched the movie, and I'm, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, from the deepest part of my spirit, I sat, you can call my wife and ask her, where tears pouring down my face throughout most of the presentation because I have lived this movie for 44 years, 45 years. When I decided that I, that I was never, when I first started learning about politics, it was when I was in the military. And I began to understand that there's a dichotomy in the world of good and evil, period. And the more I studied history, like William Wilberforce and so many others, the more I began to see that there's a line drawn between good and evil. And if you open up a book and you start studying it, you begin to see the good and the evil is stark. It's right there. You can see it. So, for example, I think it's evil to kill our children. But there are people in the world that think that's perfectly okay. I think it's evil to believe that black people were monkeys and climbed out of trees. But there are people in this world that promoted that. I think it's evil to destroy the family. But there are people in this world that want to change the family to whatever they want it to be. There's a guy right now who's fighting in court because he wants to marry his computer, okay, because of the pornography that it offers him. So these are the things that I, I research, and I begin to see a constant thing, a rather consistent pattern. There are those that believe anything is good, and there are those who believe that we have to have boundaries, and we have to have borders, and we have to have behavior. And so one of the things that changed for me was the more I studied the political parties of the United States of America, I began to see that dichotomy. And so I have never voted for a particular party in this country because my value system was not based on anything that they had to offer. And so when I watched this movie, Uncle Tom, um, it, it, it's like the choices that I've made in my life to not be called an African-American and to not be known by the color of my skin and to not react to life based on the color of my skin is because I represent the freedom that the nation offers, not the history of slavery. I represent the people who died in order for me to have this conversation today, not the people who are angry about the people who died. I represent those lives, white and black, who fought for freedom. So I am a product of freedom, which means that I am not an African-American, I'm an American. And I went back and I undid the revised history, which is kind of like what this program is all about, in order to understand the factual history, and I began to realize something. I had a choice to make. And, of course, the Bible says, choose whom you shall serve. And I decided 44 years ago that I was not going to choose a a political structure that I saw as oppressive and controlling and power-hungry and wanting to dominate the lives of people, and I was not going to, to, to choose a political structure that was designed to enslave my mind, my future, and everything that I believed in. And so the alternative for me was to be who my mother raised not what the culture told me I had to be. And so when I watched this movie, tears pouring down my face, I understood emphatically, and I understand what Dean is talking about, the black conservatives that love God, that have, were born out of the very biblical families of the black community in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. This is who I am as an American, free, not as a person who was a victim, 
and not as a person who was based on the color of my skin. And I, folks, I got a little secret for you. I've never been to Africa, okay? So <laughs> I don't have a connection to the people of Africa. I just don't. My connection is to the American citizens who fought against tyranny and oppression and slavery. Those are my heritages. That's my heritage, those people. And, and I will say this again. My friends are not the white people who believed in slavery. My friends are the descendants of the white people who fought against slavery. And I just want to make that statement as bold and as loud as I possibly can. My friendships in this world are based on the people who fought against slavery and tyranny in order for freedom to stand. That's who I associate with today. I'm not going to run over your, in your neighborhood and burn down your businesses and, and declare my whatever because that's what I'm supposed to do because of 400 years ago or 250 years ago. I'm going to represent the people who died in order for this country to stand today. And that was all racist, not just one. That's, that's my thing, Dina. No, and thank you. Uh, you know, we're in a very frustrating time. I guess the main takeaway for me, well, two things out of the movie. Of course, the whole the victim card that, you know, the race industry has played and enslaved the black people, which has gone on forever. But I think the thing that really touched me the most, and, and this isn't anything nobody, I mean, we all know this, is the, um, the, the fatherlessness in the black, it, it kind of began there. What was it, 23% of black families in the 60s were without fathers. And today, it's almost 85%. You cannot yeah. have a functioning society when the father is removed from the home. So this is the fruit. This is the legacy of the white liberals from the 60s, is to target the black family <clears throat> and make it more productive and more fruitful for a father not to be in the home than to be in the home. And so the answer to this is how do we restore the, the fathers back to their families and in, this is what's produced all the anger. All that anger out there, I, you know, I don't, you can argue with me about whatever, but all that anger stems from not having a father and, a, and, and the bonding that goes on and the father to impart. You know, when you listen to the, those black conservatives talking, I mean, Larry Elder, look at his father and what his father imparted to him. Like all of them, the ones that spoke, now Candace Owen was one, I guess she grew up she, from a single-parent home. But a lot of them, the, the Walter Williams and um, Thomas Sowell, and I can't even think of all the ones in the film, but that was, that was the heartbeat because their fathers imparted into them the truths of the Bible and the, the, way, you, you know, the way you grow within the culture, even though you know, maybe culturally everything's stacked against you, but you're not a victim of it. I was really touched by that, and I'm the question I'm asking myself is how how do we bring that back? Do we create some sort of mentorship? I mean, you add to that, you know, four months of men, you know, not being at work, men not having sports, men not doing the thing they do to be men, lock them up, and not ha and then just the fatherlessness of it all. That was a recipe for disaster. And so, again, that's why I go back to if, if somehow we could restore the black community, and I don't know what it will take. I mean, it's way past my pay grade. But that really is the answer. These young men need father figures and mentors and people to tell them when they're right, when they're going off the rails, and, you know, how to live your life and be productive and to work hard and all that stuff. That was the message of the film for me. Well, I mentioned too, Gina, and I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, this movie, I've lived this movie, and, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll actually add to that statement. I have four children, okay? <clears throat> and I swore, I promised myself that I would never be the father my father was to us. He was absent. I swore I would never, ever abandon my children. To me, that was a personal conviction and promise to me because way back then I understood the value of being a dad because I didn't have one. So 
what I, and I didn't have one teach me how to be a father. So I had to kind of rough it. But I roughed it because of my commitment to my kids and to the fact that I was not going to be a victim of whatever my father failed to do. So when I tell people I've lived this movie, I have lived this movie. My, all of my kids know their father to this very day. I've, I'm close with all of my children because I've been a part of their lives. And it, 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 the recipe that God put forth was a man and a woman should produce a family. And when you do that, no matter how difficult it is, and it is difficult to raise up kids, especially in our culture, it's difficult. But when you do the biblical recipe, you plant the kinds of seeds that change the culture. What the political structure that I'm talking about planted seeds to destroy the culture. And so I encourage people, go watch the movie, Uncle Tom, so you understand the actual history, which they do a brilliant job of bringing that forward so that you can maybe have another option in your brain. <clears throat> and the other thing, too, is this, you know, when I when you say the black thing, I, that's an interesting uh, statement that you make. But I think it's it has to do even more so that all men, and particularly in the nation that's been given the most freedom in the world, we need to have our identities restored. Because in addition to what they did to the black family, now they're making white men tyrants. And that's not true. But... You know, we, we sit here and we, we listen to, we watch these programs on TV programming, guys, where the white male is depicted as a moron and an idiot and somebody who's just full of uh, stupid whatever. And, and now we got the white guilt, we got the, all this lunacy that's being programmed into the community, and it's all about destroying the male figure, destroying the man and the culture making the white man evil and the black man absent. This is all stuff that we have to stop believing. We have to stop buying into it. And I think that uh, maybe, Dina, your statement about this being the answer is a start because nobody has made a movie like Uncle Tom since I've been alive. That in the Republican Party, let's just talk about that. I don't want to get political, even though I'm very political, but the Republican Party kind of, there's no courage there. M-I-A. M-I-A, yes. Totally. Drives me nuts. That's why I'm saying these black concerns, the, the, there's no way the white Republican, you know, leadership, they're not stepping up into this ever. They're cowards. These, these black conservative Christians are not cowards, and we need leadership. This has been the biggest shock of the last four months and we have this vacuum of leadership and we are all just looking for someone to stand up with some cojones and push back against that and that's what I see with these these black conservatives like I see it there and that's why I'm saying this could be the way out um, it's you know I know that it, the, the, the problem of all humanity, you know, the lack of bonding with the father. I mean, that's like you could go through every single family. And that really just goes back to our lack of bonding with the king. You know, it's all. But, but for this time and this period and to get through this mess, <laughs> that's kind of what I see as a possibility and an answer. And I, I would agree with you, and I would I would go even one step further and say to 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 everyone listening to the program, there's a whole lot of Americans, black and white, whatever race you want to, if you want to get an, but there's a lot of Americans who are not ready to give up our guns, who are not ready to give up our freedom, who are not ready to throw our families in the trash, and Amen. the voice of that, uh, the voice of those yeah. people. It's going to be the pushback. I really believe that. And we started this program out by wanting to be encouraging. The pushback is going to come because it always does. It always does. And so, I, you know, if it doesn't, we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have in our, you know, we have in our DNA that love of freedom and liberty. And, you know, when we just get, there, there's going to be the point where they just squeeze a little bit too much. 
and, you know, the floodgates are going to open. But it's kind of, you know, what you were saying, I mean, if we go back to the very basis of the Bible, you know, it's house building. It's building a family. Husband and wife producing fruit, building a family, and the legacy of that. And so on that note, we could pivot to, we we don't have a whole lot of time left, but we want to say, uh, we want to acknowledge, you know, we're, we're very saddened by the passing of our brother, Brad Scott. But man, if that wasn't the message that he brought to the whole world, like the ba- most basic message, you know, the, with the parable of the seed, that that, you know, is a house and a family and a piece of land. <laughs> that, no, he left the greatest legacy. I mean, I took from what he shared and I went, you know, off into, you know, I took it a step further. But he, you know, from the very beginning, that's the message. And that's the message and the legacy that Brad brought to us. And I will never forget that as long as I live. Well, Dina, I'm going to share a story. Uh, I've known Brad. I met Brad. He was sitting at his table. This was in Portland, Oregon at a Love for Israel conference. He was sitting there, full of life, full of humor, sitting at his table at the um, – uh, when you had uh, whatever they bring out all the tables and you can sell marketplace. your books. Marketplace, thank you. And I met him, and uh, he was this jovial little guy who just had a whole lot of love and life. And then years later, many years later, uh, I saw him again in Portland at a different uh, Love for Israel conference, and he was going through something that was, uh, we were both going through something uh, that was very difficult. It was a very big emotional time. And I sat in his room. And we talked. And what he was, um, speaking of family, what he was going through at that moment was reconnecting with his daughter. And uh, I got to see Brad. I saw how touched he was. He shared all these stories about how that all came about, how it all came about. And he broke down and started crying. And I was kind of, you know, not ready for that. Uh, But he started crying because of how, precious it was for him to be reconnecting to his daughter. And so we had a big, uh, it was kind of like this tear fest. And I won't get into all the stuff that I was going through, but he was right there and he understood it. But the thing that was touched him the most was that he was reconnecting to his daughter and he it was, it was, it was a little nervous, he was a little scared, uh, and he was recounting some of the failures and how much it meant to him that she would come and knock on his door. And uh, so that whole process started. And then um, more recently, a couple months ago, uh, I was talking to him on the phone, and uh, we were talking about his situation. And, uh, you know, he was upbeat. But he called me about a friend of mine, Kim Porter, who who is battling breast cancer. And he saw something on Facebook, and he decided to call me, and he wanted to pray. And uh, he wanted to tell me about this product that he was taking, and he wanted to offer that up. Well, they knew about all of that. But even in the midst of what he was going through, he calls me on the phone about somebody he doesn't know that's going through cancer, and he wanted to somehow uh, have a conversation about it. And I, I just, you know, I didn't know him as, for as long as you did, and I didn't know him uh, as well as others. But what I did know about him, I, it was like a bomb hit me yesterday when I realized he was gone. I couldn't watch anything without watering up because of how how much of a servant this man was for the king. Yeah. That to me, is, yeah. I can get choked up here. Anyway. I mean, he, he gave it all. He traveled the entire world. He would go somewhere if there were three people who wanted to hear the message. He didn't have to have some giant audience. He, he was the servant of servants and really the pioneer in all of this. And, you know, yesterday, for those of you who are on Facebook, I posted, Brad and I did a series called The Tabernacle. I think uh, it was 2017. And as I, I posted, remember. it was the most fun I ever had doing a teaching. I mean, we just had a blast. We just bounced off of one another, you know, told jokes, but we're serious. And so I posted it. Uh, it's on my website, Foundations and Torah, and it's there for free. Anybody can watch it anytime. It's 12 parts. It was just, uh, you know, it, w- it was so enjoyable to do that with him. 
And I said after that, you know, we should do this more often. Like, this is so cool. And I'll just try to, I'll end here with a story, too. Um, this is a couple of years ago at Revive. And we had stayed on to watch the fireworks from Jacksonville over the bridge, like it's a big deal. And uh, Brad and Carol had stayed on, too. So they had a car. We jumped, We spent a day. We jumped in the car and went to the, spent the day at the beach, which we just had a blast. It was so fun to be at the beach. But, you know, we did not talk, you know, spiritual stuff <laughs> once. <laughs> we were just hanging out, having a good time, doing all the stuff. And I, I made the comment to him. I said, you know, I, I know people would love to be in a fly on the wall to listen to all our deep, you know, thoughts, <laughs> analysis of the Bible. And there we're just sitting on the beach cutting up, you know, being silly and just having a good time. And we just kind of laughed about that because, honestly, we're all just normal. <laughs> we do normal things, hang out, and, and uh, you know, we don't have these great in-depth conversations when we're just among ourselves. But it was one of those days that you always remember. We had a, we had a barbecue in the evening with some friends in Jacksonville, and um, we just we really had a good time. I ended ha- up having to be the designated driver, so just a little bit. I'm curious as I listen to you. How did you meet Brad? Do you, can, you, can you recall that history? Yeah, so I this has got to be 2000 and eight, I want to say, somewhere there, eight or nine. And um, Brad had come to Santa Fe. I was in a a little, met with a little group there, and they had invited him to come because they were friends with him. They had been for a long time. And so he was invited to come, and uh, I kind of introduced myself. Well, so he started, he started asking all these questions in the group and stuff in Hebrew, and I'm like, I just, answered all the questions. <laughs> no, nobody else knew any of the answers. <laughs> Looking at me, he'd say something in Hebrew, and then, he, then he'd say, well, is that the correct pronunciation? I'd say, well, no, it's not quite like that. It's <laughs> We're having this whole thing. So we ended up, he's like, who are you? <laughs> and, uh, that was yeah. That was fun. That was that was our first meeting, and and uh, we actually, I mean, became fast friends after that. And of course, I would uh, got to know him as I go to the conferences, and and you know, he stayed at our house, and you know, I mean, just lots of fun things. I mean, it's not like I saw him every day. We didn't talk on the phone every day or anything like that. Right. There was just a you know a connection, and well, loved I just, him. I just, just loved him. I thought uh, I just had it in my brain that you knew him as long as you've known everybody. <laughs> well, so. I've only known everybody since then because you, you have to remember I was nobody until 2010. I was well, I mean, this. yeah, but I knew about you from GLC, and that's of course where I learned a lot of Brad's teaching. I bought a lot of his stuff too uh, at that that particular marketplace, but uh, I just assumed you knew him for a long years and years and years. Uh, I didn't realize. Yeah, just really we, we met him about the same time, actually. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. about 2008 no, when I met him, too. Yeah, I, that's when well, I, I had this, I had this image of him strutting into eternity yesterday, and I think I'll hold yeah. on to that. I can just yeah. picture him strutting. Yeah. I, I, can, I can see him chatting with Paul right about now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, I think what's so nice in this day and age, I mean, Brad will be with us always because there's so much material out there. I I mean, how many things have been recorded and filmed and, you know, what a blessing. We have it for, you know, eternity. And that's the kind of thing that we can help our young people turn them on. Because, I mean, his, his humor and he knew how to reach young people and his heart, especially the last few years, was really for the young ones coming up because he recognized, you know, yeah. as, as a movement, we have done a great disservice and having abandoned them and not taught them in the way and sort of just left them hanging out to dry. So, um, yeah, any, you know, he has, he has left a giant legacy in the world. And so we just need, we need to hang on to that and, um, and share that with, with friends and family. So we, we, we encourage uh, all of you folks to raise up this family, and particularly Carol in prayer, and uh, just be mindful of, of all the days ahead that, uh, 
you know, there's a lot of emotion attached to all of this. I'm, I'm reminded of Joe Good's daughter passing and just tough stuff, folks. We, yeah. we, we live in tough situations. And uh, so I encourage you to be prayerful for uh, the Scott family and uh, for Carol, certainly, and to move forward with the legacy and information that Brad gave to all of us. Uh, I certainly will miss him. I spoke to Rico this morning. Rico's, yeah, we're all going to miss him. Uh, he was a great guy. And, uh, Dina, before we close out the show, uh, you know, I'm constantly, uh, I'm excited. I'm more excited about the stuff we're studying than I am about the depression and the oppression and the stupid and the lunacy and all this crazy stuff. I'm excited because, like I started the program off saying, God moved in. He built it, and then he moved in. So as long as I know he's here, then I have a whole lot more to look forward to than, uh, say, Bill de Blasio and the lunacy going on around the world. And you have you have done a – I don't want to end the show without talking about what would Yeshua do. So I watched a well, couple of – what did you – okay. You've got this well, series What did Yeshua now. mean? What did you, yeah. Explain what you mean by that because – you know, the literal understanding of the interpretation of the biblical story of the gospel message in the New Testament, boy, it'd be nice to go back and unscramble all of that. And I think that's what you're trying to do. Share just yeah. a little bit about the show, before, uh, about your series before we close out and where people can watch it. Okay. Yeah, so I decided, you know, we, that, that phrase everybody threw around a few years ago, what would Jesus do? Uh, you know, everybody wore little bracelets, right? W J D or whatever. Yeah, that whole thing. W W J D. I thought, well, really, how do you know what he'd do if you don't even know what he meant to do? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So uh, I'm looking. I, I I thought we need to kind of go back. It's actually and not funny, Danny. You know that's not funny. <laughs> go ahead. Because that, that, that was my thinking. And so I decided what I would do uh, it was go through the, the Gospels and try to show people what he meant by what he said. And then you can go do when, once you figure that out. So I started with Matthew. I covered, I think, seven chapters is all. And uh, I'll probably do a part two just to finish the book. We'll see. And then I'll go on to uh, Mark and Luke, et cetera. But I, so I entered in, it's a series, it's 10 programs, it's, uh, you, it's on Israel TV Network, and you can go to my website, if you're a SOD member on my website, you can watch it for free, and we will be releasing it more as the days uh, progress but here. But it's only 30 bucks to get all of it. Yeah, yeah, if you go to Israel much. TV Network, it's $30, you can rent or own, you know, own, and you can watch it for all eternity. <laughs> you can watch it when you are at the pearly gates. Anyways, the, the first session, I, I had to lay the background because we really don't have a good understanding. So you know me, I always start there. And, and so the cultural background, I go through all of that. And honestly, we don't really know if Matthew wrote it. We just, you know, that's the name on it. So that's, right. that's we're good to go. And we have to talk about the dating. And then we have to talk about what is he, what is he addressing? So the, the predominant theme is that he pro it was probably written about, you know, maybe 70 common era, likely after the destruction of the temple. And so that, again, once again, I can't stress enough, that becomes ground zero. If we, we're understanding he's writing about a period before that, but he's writing post-temple destruction. So as you're reading it, you've got to read it through that eyes. If, he, if he's writing about something that's so disastrous for the nation, nation catastrophic. So I'll, I'll just kind of give you one example. The pattern of the Gospels is the Exodus. I can't stress that enough. As you are reading the Gospels, now it's not like he's, the things he's saying are exactly the same as the Exodus. That's not how they do things. So the writer is telling us or giving us these little vignettes and stories, but, but in the back of his mind, is the message of the Exodus. So we see Exodus-type language all through it. And, and I'm pointing to you. I'm pointing that to you as I go through the series. So I'm going to give you one example of what I do. And that's, uh, so remember, there aren't chapter breaks <laughs> originally. Right. And so this becomes important. So I'm just going to show you from chapter 3 into chapter 4 how this is 
language of the Exodus. And what is uh, down in verse 13, it talks about Yeshua's immersion, okay? And the heavens opened and the whole, you know, he's being immersed by John and uh, et cetera. And he rose out of the water and the heavens opened and he saw the Ruach Elohim. So this is a return, first of all, to the creation week when we see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. We're having a recreation story here. And when we get to the story of Israel leaving Egypt and passing through the sea, that's another recreation story. That is telling us that is the recreation of what we're going to see a people formed, Israel itself. But the going through the sea is very much ancient Near East language and coming up on the, out, the other side being reborn as a nation. It's the very same picture we have in Genesis 1 of a world coming forth out of water. So when we see Yeshua being immersed, we're, having, we're going back to the exodus of Israel coming out of, the, out of, the, um, out of Egypt. We're seeing Yeshua as, it, as, a, as representing Israel, as representing Moses, going through the sea or being immersed. And then when we come out of uh, chapter 3, we move into 4, where is he? He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness, the same way that the children of Israel are led through the sea into the wilderness. And, of course, they're, what are they going to do in the wilderness? Go to the mountain and build a house. And so Yeshua is doing the same thing. But in the meantime, what, it, what had to happen in the sea was, of course, Pharaoh and army were drowned. And this is the defeat. This is the, you know, Israel and, and Egypt. This is the defeat of the forces of tyranny. Now we see Yeshua in the wilderness, and he's doing battle with the serpent, which is a representation of Pharaoh. So this yes. whole thing with Yeshua and the serpent, there's a reason they stick 40 days and 40 nights in there, because it's supposed to take us back to, the, back to Exodus with you know, them not only 40 years in the wilderness doing battle, you know, all, of, all the 40 stuff is because it's purposely taking us back to the Exodus. And so this whole dynamic thing here between the serpent and Yeshua is the battle between Moses and Pharaoh. It's exactly replayed. And so, you know, there's much more I can say, but I want, I'm trying to encourage you as you're reading the, uh, the Gospels to recognize language of the Exodus. There's a reason that Yeshua came and died at Passover because we are replaying the deliverance from tyrants. That's the message and that Israel will be delivered from Egypt in the same way we will be delivered from tyrants and the ultimate tyrant of tyrants is sin. We will be delivered from sin in, in the same manner. But there's this battle that has to go on first for the deliverance to take place. So Again, this is this is Moses, Pharaoh, Yeshua, serpent. Same thing. It's basically the same thing. And you know, I, and I'll, I'll end the show this with this. I'm reading a book called Politics in the Bible by Paul R. Abramson, and he talks about the pig thing where Jesus sent the the. Mm-hmm. the and again, that, I talk about that. Yes. Well, day. that the allegory is the pharaohs of the armies of Pharaoh were drowned. And the legions of Rome exactly. were going to die, but also what Abramson, Abram, Abramson does is he talks about the political reality of that dynamic. In other words, these things are happening to ensure the politics of the kingdom of God and to destroy the politics of the legions of Rome or the that armies sub- of Pharaoh. That is subverting world empire. That's what we've been yes. doing. That's subverting world empire, upending it. This is how you do it. And I'm going to talk about this today in our Bible study because okay. we have to understand that the literal analysis of the Bible, there's a midrothic story behind it, and we have to get to that because that's how the ancients wrote. Dina, I just love that we've gone well past an hour. <laughs> but... You know, I just love doing these programs with you, and I know we're just really busy, but um, in recognition of Brad, I'm going to end the show with the full song by Evan Kraft called Be My Shalom because the peace of God is what we're all after. And I just Amen. I just picture my good friend Brad Scott telling jokes right now before the king and uh, the peace of his pr- – the peace that he is experiencing, the rest 
that he is experiencing before the king is something we're all trying to achieve. So, Dina, I love you. God bless you. And uh, have a good week. And you too. Thanks, my brother. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.